from KQED. Before we get things started, beep, 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 beep. we have an announcement. Ooh, official. Oh, official. Yeah. Introducing the brand spanking new Cooler Hotline. Yes. Oh, yes. It's like the 90s up in here. So you can now, listeners, call us up to leave questions, ask mm-hmm. us for advice, or answer our questions of the week. And we might even use your voice on our show. That's right. You mm-hmm. could hear yourself on the cooler. And we're going to listen to every single one. So please, hit us up. Make our hotline bling. Just like this anonymous woman did when she called us last week and left this charmingly confused voicemail. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, listener, that could be you on our show, hopefully not cursing and actually saying words that aren't that. That's my new text ringtone, by the way. (laughs) Mine, too. I'm here for it. So this week's question is, what, in your opinion, is the saddest song ever made? So if you have feelings about that, give us a call at 415-553-2850. And maybe you'll hear your answer on the show. Bonus points if you are audibly crying as you leave us a voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> and if you just curse and hang up, that's okay too. It's absolutely fine. Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Carly. And I'm Jamidra. And we're the hosts of The, the Cooler. We saw a star is born. Did it inspire us to say, yas, gaga, yas, or na, gaga, na? We will be sharing our two cents and then some. And Carly and I will be having a fun little conversation with singer-songwriter Sarah Bareilles. It's just going to be us and maybe 2,000 of our closest friends. Yeah, pretty intimate. Hmm. Cozy. And that cracking sound you're hearing is hell freezing over because, guys, Taylor Swift is finally getting political and not everyone's here for it. Including me. (laughs) (laughs) There's only one way I can start a segment about A Star is Born. Hmm. And it is with this contagious, uh, would you call it a warble, a yodel? Uh, It's a rallying cry of of sorts, yes? I'd call it an earworm. (laughs) And if you don't know, this features prominently in the trailer and the movie itself. So take it away, Gaga. That, that's that's before she had her tea. She clearly right. Hmm. She was just working it out. Yeah, I didn't know you taped me in the shower. <laughs> in all sincerity, that I cannot stop singing what she does. Yeah, you should have heard us on the streets after watching this movie, mm-hmm. and then I'm sure our respective partners could attest to us sounding like that little girl and we just sang. Just to be clear, we are mocking the immortal, immediately iconic bit in the A Star Is Born trailer where Gaga just lets rip. really goes for it, doesn't she? Goes she goes for it. We are far from the shallow now, you guys. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> one, no joke, one time a cat got caught under my porch and that's the sound <laughs> that it made. It was very poignant. Mating season. Mm. So <laughs> am I the only one who laughs hysterically whenever I hear this little bit? I can attest to the fact you laugh hysterically because you were sitting next to yes. me in the theatre when we saw it and we both clutched each other as if we'd been tased. <laughs> 
And that might have something to do with the first time you heard that, yeah. which was a meme I showed you where it was that vocal mm -hmm. on top of a scene of the apocalypse from Terminator 2 where everyone's being burned to death. Uh -huh. Yes, it's absolutely your fault, Emmanuel. I just yeah. want you to know that anybody whose movie-going experience I have ruined during the viewing of this film, <laughs> blame Emmanuel. <laughs> yeah. So before we get to unpacking all of our feelings, because mm. I know we have a lot of them Sorry. about this movie, a little backstory mm. about A Star is Born in General. It's been made three times yes. before. Janet Gaynor, Judy Garland, Barbara Streisand. And this latest one has been clunking around Hollywood since 2002 when it was almost made with... Are you ready for this? Mm. Ready. I don't think you are. I'm ready. Will Smith mm. and J-Lo. Mm. <laughs> Fresh off the Ja Rule hits? No. <laughs> oh, because no. it was 2002 and Jada had so, to be in everything. Then you, then you must refer to her as Jenny from the block. Right. Mm. She rides the six train. Mm -hmm. So we were spared from that remake. And then in 2011, noted Republican who likes to talk to empty chairs, Clint Eastwood. Get off my lawn. Wanted to direct it and make it with Beyonce. And the lead actor was going to be one of the following. Leonardo DiCaprio. No. Johnny Depp. Also no. Oh, big no. Tom Cruise. Mm -mm. Yes. Russell Crowe. Mm -mm. Or Eminem. No. What? What, what, was what is this? That is a conveyor belt of no thanks. <laughs> no thanks. So to here's, you. I, you know, I love me some Beyonce. I do. I don't see it for this. It's I'm not, not for seeing her. it. No. Well, she got pregnant her. with Blue Ivy and didn't get to make it. Mm -hmm. So thanks, Blue. And now we have this current iteration. We vowed to not talk about anything about the movie after we saw it mm -hmm. so that we would save it for this room. So now we get to unleash. And I guess the first question is, when we left the theater, what were you feeling? Oh, I feel like the papa at Thanksgiving dinner when he finally lets his belt loose. Mm. I'm, gonna I'm like, I get to talk about this. Now. I feel uncorked. <laughs> exactly. And uncorked is exactly <laughs> the right word. I just wanted to share it so much with you guys. I like how we deliberately didn't go out afterwards like we normally do mm -hmm. with this kind of stuff. I had real, real opinions. I was, number one, shocked by how much I enjoyed it or mm. at least... The first didn't half, hate it. Two, just didn't hate it. First two thirds starts off super strong. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I walked out of the theater thoroughly impressed, but also confused because all these years I thought that me and Bradley knew each other well. Mm. He was my hangover bro. Right. And I was like, okay, we, we did a little, he did, you know, he, he changed things up or switched things up for Silver Linings Playbook. I was like, I got you. But now I'm just like, who are you really, Bradley? Renee the voice? Me. That voice. The voice? Can we talk about the voice? The voice. We must because that is actually him. Did he not train so hard that he could essentially become a professional musician? Ah, uh, you turn around. Okay. <laughs> Let me just get a look at you. <laughs> like that was... <laughs> He is basically doing Bane from Batman if Bane from Batman was an alcoholic cowboy. Yes. And in order to make my point, I created a audio compare and contrast, if you will. Brother, can I tell you a secret? We will destroy gossip. But don't worry, I won't tell anybody. You don't fear that. Oh, I think you like it a little bit. Your punishment must be more severe. You just write that now? Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> wow. Can you tell the difference? No. Seamless. Oh. We are going to destroy Gotham. Can I have another look at you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, he was really good in it. So He's... how about we start with the stuff that we liked about this movie? Mm -hmm. Not to be super superficial, but Oof. Sam Elliott is a gilf. Oh, my God. Grandpa, so I'd like to. Glad yes. you mentioned <laughs> Sam Elliott. Oh, it's like, finally, somebody. Bradley Hooper. Oh. <laughs> 
Right? <laughs> so, fab fact for you, the character that Bradley Cooper plays, Jackson Maine, is based on Sam Elliott. When he developed the character, the look and the voice, they are based on Sam Elliott. And if you don't know who Sam Elliott is, you have to go and watch everything that Sam Elliott's done because he is a god amongst silver-haired men. And so when Bradley Cooper's like, who's going to play my elderly brother? Oh, I'll just ask Sam Elliott. Hmm. And if you need a visual and you don't feel like Googling it, he looks like a mix between a schnauzer and a Sharpay. What a right. sexy schnauzer, though. Mm. The mustache is just... Oh, yes. yes. Trimmed. <laughs> All, like, perviness aside, Sam Elliott is the best thing in this movie. And for people who have seen it, there is one moment of, like, emotional clarity between the brothers <gasps> that... Yes. I, I welled up. I properly welled up. Like tears sprang to my eyes. Jesus mm-hmm. wept. He was driving. He had to drive away from the emotion. When I, you have to drive away from the emotion, I found it so upsetting that one moment. And guess what? That was improvised. <gasps> really? Yes. I wanted to talk to you about the improv because it's noticeable and it's really lovely. And you can tell in a lot of the musical performance scenes, it's in front of a live crowd. Mm-hmm. They sing live. They wrote their own music. So there is a lot of authenticity to the movie. Not so much Gaga's acting. But the musical moments and also the raw emotional parts towards the end of the film that involve Bradley Cooper and his close up face mm-hmm. going through stuff. Going through. It just seems like they say, Turn on the camera and I'm just gonna wing it. It is great. Like the naturalism is really beautiful. There's a bit where Gaga I think is singing for one of the first times on the stage and you can see behind her Bradley Cooper and the guitarist of the band looking at each other and smiling like their eyes connecting and Mm -hmm. the guitarist I think is mouthing fuck. Yeah. (laughs) And it's such a lovely real moment that you couldn't have acted it. After the movie I went down a rabbit hole and I just started watching interview after interview after interview because that's how I get down. And it turns out that they basically commandeered stage space in between sets at actual concerts. Huh. So at, was it Glassbury? I was Glastonbury. Glastonbury. Thank you. <laughs> Glastonbury. They were there, took the stage. People there were like, who Who are they? Who's this old dude? Who's this old dude? <laughs> and they couldn't hear the music because they had it turned so that only the people in the first couple rows could hear oh. it because they didn't want the music released before right. the move, the oh. film. But they did that at Glastonbury and at Coachella. And I feel like a lot of what she was bringing to the role is authentically who she is. It's supposed to be in L.A., but we're getting a New York vibe from mm-hmm. her and her dad. Mm-hmm. At least I did. So I was confused about the geography for a little while. Me too. And now there's a whole Twitter thing going on where people are trying to Nancy Drew the situation <laughs> of like, where are they? Oh, so God. it was geography. And then it was also her wardrobe. I was like, where are we? Even the time I was like, is it does that? Jumpsuit looks very 1970s. It's very right. Dolly Parton. Yes. And also, who else would know the story of being a singer-songwriter, trying to make it, and then going this pop route and being seen as a sellout? Mm-hmm. Her character, Allie, sells out a little bit, goes to SNL, mm-hmm. and performs a song that they've crafted to be the epitome of a quote-unquote terrible pop song. But people on Twitter are loving it. In case you want to hear, like Gaga's music. <laughs> yeah, oh, kind of. Shots burn, burn, burn. Fired. Oh, she doesn't listen to her. <laughs> in case you're curious, this is what it sounds like. Why'd you come around me with an ass like that? Why did you do that? Do that? Do that? Do that? Do that to me? Why did you do that? Do that? Do that? Do that? Do that to me? Why did you do that? Do that? Do that? Do that? Do that to me? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? It was 
almost as difficult to listen to that song as it was to look at that hair because that hair, <laughs> Ooh, orange, that orange Ronald McDonald vibe that she went with, Tone it was a it lot. Down. It was a lot. How dare you come around with an ass like that? That is a lyric <laughs> from that song, and Bradley Cooper's character gives her a hard time. She's like, "Don't you dare talk about my lyrics!" Oh, the, the bathroom angry, scene, ba- angry bathtub scene. Yeah, we saw all of Gaga. We saw in that all scene. a brief flash of Gaga. Yeah. Speaking of Gaga, mm-hmm. what are we feeling about her overall performance? Is she allowed to continue acting? Is this it for her? <laughs> what, what's the vibe? Are we permitting this? Are we signing the papers? I mean, she's going to win an Oscar for it, but I don't think she should. I was not sold. I was so dazzled by the powerful combo of Cooper and Elliot in front of me. And I, I don't want to say that the guys were better than the, the lead female, but they were. Misogyny. I know. It's very real. It is ingrained. It goes so <laughs> deep. I don't know. I, I wasn't sold. It's something about Gaga I can never quite connect with. And I know she's built a whole pop career off artifice and like reveling in it. But I just couldn't connect for that very reason. And um, I just didn't fully buy it, which mm. makes me sad because I really wanted to. Honestly, for the first half, this is a really bloody good movie. It is. And we all are, at least I am, rooting for Gaga in some kind of way because she's our age and she has gone through the hero's journey, if you will, of a pop artist where they come on the scene, they're super popular, then they fade pretty quickly, and now she's emerging like a phoenix. And making duets with Tony Bennett. But And mm. if she ended up mm. winning an Oscar, I feel like that would be a nice story. And I feel like a lot of people are obsessed with that story and that narrative, and Oscar voters love that kind of mm. thing. But when you look at her acting ability, not all the way there for me, but the musical performance is amazing. So overall, I would say... She gave a great performance. Mm. But when you look at the acting, best actress? I don't know. Mm. So I don't know if she's going to get best actress. On the scale of pop stars who star in movies, I'm thinking of a Britney. Crossroads is a gem. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Demetra, back off. Back off I'm, right I'm, now. Seriously, back I'm, off. I'm thinking of a Tyra. Don't bring up burlesque because we will have work. All of that. I'm just saying, <laughs> given the fact that she's a pop star and she is not an actress, I think she did pretty well. Yeah. I kind of wish that Bradley Cooper had just made another movie, though. I really wish he hadn't remade A Star Is Born for the what the fourth time. Because it's so melodramatic. The plot, I think, is such a, a plot from old Hollywood that you watch it now with 2018 eyes and you're like, Ugh. Yeah. like I feel really queasy about this narrative that puts this this woman up and she only gets successful because of a powerful guy doing his thing for her and then she'll eventually suck all his life force out of him and destroy him. Oh, Black Widow. Yeah. There are so many scenes where he lets her know that she's great. So like, did you know you're a songwriter? It's like, she probably figured that Mm, out because she's been writing songs. And she also just wrote a song. Did you know that your nose doesn't make you a monster? And she's like, what? Really? (laughs) I just hate those elements of it. It feels like it's playing into this really old trope of a woman needs the validation from a powerful man to believe in herself. And maybe that's true for some people, but like, this is not 1937 Janet Gaynor film. We could have evolved it a little bit or a lot of bit. yeah there's also the trope of like who knew she was beautiful why miss all Jones. of a sudden she put on mascara and you gorgeous it's like what it is like the old secretary reveal it's like oh my god she took her hair down and took off her glasses <laughs> what and also there's the scene where she's getting attention from labels and he gets jealous and smashes a pastry in her face i did see that right mm. there we don't play like that 
That is a eat the cake anime. <sighs> Tina Turner, I which was... is now glorified by Jay Z in a song which yes. I hate. That moment is so regressive. And like, what message are we sending with this movie to modern audiences? I, the whole mm, the, the story always flirts a little bit too closely for me with that whole idea that passionate love can resemble abuse mm. in a lot of senses, like yes. emotional abuse, bordering on physical abuse. I don't know. I just wish we could leave those stories back where they belong, in the olden times with the mud. Last question. Would you give it a... Yes! Yes, Gaga, you look so good. Oh my God, yes! <laughs> so that's one option. Option A. <laughs> Never get and then one. option B. No! God, please, No! 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 <laughs> so where do you fall on the spectrum? It has to be one or the other. I mean, you can be on the spectrum. There's a nuance in this podcast. Are we about the movie the, or the Gaga or the Bradley? The whole thing. Uh, Stars born. The whole stew. Mm. I'll go with a yes. Gaga, yes. Mm. Because I, I, at the end of the day, despite its flaws, I enjoyed it. And me and Bradley, we've developed a deeper relationship now. Yeah. I want to see more. <laughs> oh, um, I don't know. Maybe a na gaga na. Wow. So I'm the tiebreaker. Oh, yes, you are. And I will say, yas, gaga, yas. <laughs> My Bane slash Bradley Cooper voice. Because I feel like she did the thing, and so did he, and it's going to win a bunch of Oscars. And I can already see a retrospective at the Oscars 25 years from now with that iconic nose tracing scene. Mm. It is instantly iconic. We'll remember it for a long time. One more for the road. Join me, please. <gasps> That was painful. (laughs) Well, a couple weeks ago, Carly and I hit the main stage at SHN's Golden Gate Theater to speak to none other than singer-songwriter Sarah Bareilles. She was in town because she has adapted the 2007 movie Waitress, starring Emmanuel's fave Kerry Russell, into this smash Broadway musical, which has Mm -hmm. come to San Francisco. If you haven't seen the movie that it's based on or the musical, it deals with some really dark themes about domestic violence and unwanted pregnancy and abusive relationships. And the good people at SHN asked us to come along and interview her on stage. Yes. And if you're wondering why Emmanuel was not on stage with us, it is not because we did not want him to be there or for the fact that he may have been vacationing in Mykonos. Not this time. Not Again, this time, not this time. But it was because Waitress is the first Broadway musical to have an all-female creative team. That is bonkers. That's that it bonkers, is the right? Bust. So they thought that they would ask the female creatives of the Cooler Podcast to hit the stage, and so we did. But Emmanuel was there in the audience, yes? I was there, and because I wasn't on stage, I didn't have to like breathe into a paper bag backstage, and I could just <laughs> chill and enjoy what you guys did, and you guys did marvelously. She was charming AF, way funnier than I thought oh, she would be. Oh, she's really funny. She's awesome. I had a gay old time. So glad. Now, if you need a refresher as to who Sarah Bareilles is, you know her. You know her music. Love song, one of her hits. Fight song? I'm not gonna write you, you a love song. song. Oh, there's two? <laughs> Love song. Fight song is not Sarah Brothers, I don't think. That's Rachel Platten? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say that to her. Retake. So without further ado, let's listen to a little conversation with Carly, myself, and Sarah Bareilles. So growing up in Eureka, like baby Sarah, what musicals was she 
consuming and devouring. Oh, that's such a good baby, Sarah. Um, she was listening to anything my sister listened to. Evita and, well, then Phantom of the Opera came into my life and I started singing into the mirror, trying to hit that high note and just basically injuring myself. But um, what else? Uh, chess? Anybody into chess? Just go back and listen to Nobody's Side. Nobody's on nobody's side and when they give... Okay, anyway. Um, I just listened to it again. Elaine Page's version of that is fucking phenomenal. Just moving on. <laughs> this is going to be a lot of digression tonight, guys. Oh, that's why we try to keep me on the path. We are here for every bit of it. <laughs> so back then... Was it ever a dream of yours to write a musical? Did you ever think this was something that you would end up doing? Sort of myopically, I was thinking of myself as a performer. And so when I would have inklings of being on the stage or dream of being on the stage as a little girl, I was thinking of being you know, in a, in a theater production. And then in college, I mean, I started songwriting pretty young, but in college it became very clear to me that songwriting was super, super important to my soul and my life as an artist. So my songwriting career and my pop career kind of was a left turn I wasn't even necessarily aiming for. You know, so many wonderful things happened there, but I think I just kind of got burnt out of the cyclical nature of writing a record, recording a record, touring and promoting a record, and then you come home and you just start the cycle over again. And I started to lose some of the joy of the creation of the music. And I moved to New York and this opportunity presented itself and I kind of said yes, totally out of, like on a whim, certainly not knowing what I was saying yes to. <laughs> or because I would have said no, because I'd be like, work on five years on something? Get out of here. Um, I really, I love those moments where something presents itself to you in your life and you get to sort of be at that crossroads and sort of face your own self-imposed limitations. Like, actually, I think I might be able to do that. Let me try, you know? So that's where we are now. Well, let's talk a little bit about where it all began. Has anyone in the audience seen the film Waitress? And I'm curious to know, had you seen the film before you decided to jump into the project? Well, I had lunch with Diane Paulus, who's the director, who's our director, and um, she sort of told me a little bit about the film. I hadn't seen it yet. And then I said, well, let me watch the film and kind of see what I respond to. And I went home and, and within the week I had watched the movie and I was so struck by kind of the messiness and the oddity of the world of messy people who are unusual but good-hearted and making mistakes but doing the best they can. I wanted to just approach the show from the character's perspective. And I've been told, which I wasn't noticing at the time, is that you know, I didn't do a lot of expositional songs. I didn't do a lot of songs in the show that are telling you what the plot is or moving the story forward that way. But I did a lot of deep dives into the psychology of the characters. 
And I think that's sort of my approach to my own songwriting and sort of the thing I find the most interesting about humanity is, is our emotional architecture and, and how we kind of tick on the inside. So I wanted to just kind of parlay that into, you know, the, the stories of, of these characters and find my way into their deepest, darkest places in an appropriate way. Now, what most people may not know is that the folks behind Waitress, uh, all-female creative team. Yes. So that's, that is pretty remarkable uh, in Broadway. And so I want to know, did you guys intend to do that? Actually, no. And that's one of the things I'm sort of equal parts appalled by and amazed at is that um, we were the first all-female creative team in Broadway history. And um, I'm appalled because I can't believe that happened. <laughs> this, it took this long. However, um, I love that it wasn't a casting agenda. We, it was just organic. It was women working at the top of their field. We came together. We weren't thinking about trying to make something. Not that there's anything wrong with doing something intentionally for women, by women, but that this just happened to be that way was a really um, just special turn of events to, to be able to look around and have, I, I can't remember if it was Diane or somebody came to us and said, you know, this has never happened before. We were like, good for us. <laughs> good job, ladies. Do you think it sends a strong message and do you think we'll start to see more all-female creative teams on Broadway? I hope so. I mean, what I love about it, I heard Diane say this and I, I, I am such a deep believer in you know what it says to young composers and young directors and young script writers and young choreographers and young music directors and I, I want them to be able to imagine themselves everywhere and so you know we all look for examples of people who are where we want to be and so if I can be an example of a particular vagina in that role great you know what I mean <laughs> Vaginas can do it, too. Yeah. That's the name of your new album, isn't That's it? That's my new cool. album. Thank you for this segue. <laughs> so Adrian Shelley wrote this movie back in the mid-2000s, and then you brought it to Broadway in 2016? Sure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and now you're taking it on tour around the country, and it's kind of a different time. It's the age of Me Too, we have to ask you about this. Have you noticed a shift in audience responses to this musical, which is about female solidarity and re resilience in the face of some pretty appalling male behavior? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that the people that were exposed to this show from very early on were having, whether we were talking about it on a, on a larger scale or not, they were having this very powerful reaction to the show. And we would get incredible letters and testimonials from people who found themselves in this show and whether they made big choices to leave relationships or not, um, they were being given the ability to process something um, in, in a new way. And so I, I think that the response to the show with regards to that has always been a powerful experience. Um, but I, I think, you know, I love that the conversation is growing and that it's more visible. And I think about, 
you know, I have two nieces and I have a younger sister who's 15. And I, I think about them growing up in an age where it's really normal for them to share when something feels uncomfortable or they're being, that's being validated in them over and over again to say like, when it's not okay, it's not okay. And that is so phenomenal. So I'm proud that that messaging is already in our show. Um, and, and I think that, yeah, it it's, it's feels like a really special time to be telling this story. I wonder what that interview would have been like if we had it this week, given everything oh. that's happened. That's a really great point, because I find myself really f- struggling to concentrate on daily tasks mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the knowledge that we live in a world that does not value certain bodies. Remember when the hashtag used to be hashtag it gets better and now it's hashtag it gets worse? <laughs> Thankfully, we have content like this that makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. I feel enlightened. I laughed. Didn't cry. Almost. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) Almost. She she is funny. Also, we asked her about the difficulty of being a political artist. And I can be very sneering. I know that's a personal flaw of mine. (laughs) Artists who don't come out with it and tell you what their politics are. Because I've always felt that there's something kind of hiding about that. And she had this lovely, sensitive way more nuanced response than I would ever Mm -hmm. come up with, which is that it is really hard to put yourself out there and say, this is what I believe in the knowledge that you're going to put it out there. And a gazillion people might just come and jump on top of you for it. She was very understanding about that. So I don't know. Yeah, she she gave us a lot of wisdom in that interview. And she blessed us with a song, which sadly, we don't have the rights to. (laughs) But check out the soundtrack. And if Waitress is coming to your town, check out the musical. And if you happen to be in the San Francisco Bay Area, you can catch it next week starting October 16th through November 11th. It's the pig and the pig. Hey, the pig and the pig. Hey. Friends, this week marks a very first for the cooler. Uh oh. And I want to tell you what that is. It's a peak that is also a pit. Oh, wow. wow. Flip it around, it's a pit that's also a peak. Hey. Mm. And the reason for this little combination this week is because I don't know where I fall on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're talking about artists getting political, I'm guessing that you have heard that Taylor Swift has finally announced what her politics are. Mm. She's coming out as a Democrat. She has (laughs) nailed her Instagram to the church door. And we have this exclusive audio of, if not Taylor Swift, someone called Taylor that we know reading part of her Instagram post. In the past, I have been reluctant to publicly voice my political opinions, but due to several events in my life and in the world in the past two years, I feel very differently about that now. I always have and always will cast my vote based on which candidate will protect and fight for the human rights I believe we all deserve in this country. Did you hear that? Always mm-hmm. have, always will, which means I voted for Hillary. Get off my jock. Yeah, that was I, I was I paid careful attention to that particular line because I was like, mm. okay, girl, so now, mm, okay, I see you. But people who are not familiar with why this is such a big effing deal, Taylor Swift does not do this. She does not make political proclamations. And not only does she not do this and talk about who she votes for, 
she doesn't talk about politics even when people on 4chan are calling her the Aryan princess mm-hmm. and hailing her as the ideal of white supremacy because of the way she looks. Not only that, her people come after folks who come after her for not saying things about it. Can I say something about the whole backlash about her not speaking out about the Aryan queen thing? You can. Get into the pit. (laughs) (laughs) So these people are scary. They are. They are neo-Nazis. So imagine being Taylor Swift, who has suffered many stalkers. She has to have restraining orders. And her safety is always present in mind. She has to hire security. If you go against the Aryan nation or whatever, you would be a little bit scared. Maybe she was scared. I'm, I'm just calling saying. BS. I'm calling BS. <laughs> I'm calling BS. We're all scared, but I don't have security guards and millions of dollars to protect me. So if anybody can speak out, it's you, girl. No, not, not buying. She speaks truth. <laughs> Point. Counterpoint. <laughs> Peak over here. Pit over here. I don't know where I stand. I saw this news and initially I was like, well, thank God, better late than never. And then I thought, no. It's not that at all. She should have done this so long ago. And when folks were hailing her as the like Aryan ideal, then to me was the time to say, this is not what I stand for. And in fact, I believe that this is wrong, period. And if you aren't scared, it is kind of an easy thing to say without losing too many fans. Mm -hmm. Hey, I don't like Nazis. It's not. (laughs) You know, time was when that wasn't a controversial opinion. (laughs) But I would say there's a double standard here. It's like, oh, Taylor Swift has not weighed in. She's a pop star. Justin Bieber is just as popular as Mm. she is. He's actually conservative-leaning, very religious. He's, granted, Canadian. But (laughs) no one is knocking on his door asking, why aren't you talking about this stuff? Why are you not putting yourself out there? Because before the Aryan Nation queen thing, people were on her about this. And in a way that they are never on the case of male pop singers. Just saying. I'll give you that point. I mean, a couple years ago, Drake actually released a statement around the time, which I felt like he felt pressure to do because he's Canadian and he talked about, you know, police brutality and things of that nature. And this is around the time when Beyonce basically challenged everybody and snatched everybody's wig Mm. and said, if I'm putting my voice out there, Mm -hmm. then what you doing? Uh And that's when all all white people were like, (laughs) wait, Beyonce's black? (laughs) Exactly. So I will say the reason why I can't, I cannot ease over to the peak side on this is because I feel like this is a little opportunistic. Taylor Swift has had a long time to talk about her political beliefs. I don't doubt that she's very upset right now about what's happening as are many women and many people in general. But I feel like the tide is turning to a point where it's really challenging for celebrities to maintain political neutrality, specifically in issues that are just wrong. Like everybody can look at it and say, that's wrong, not going to reflect well on you in the history books 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. I think that right now she had to make a decision. I think her non her non position was a position in itself. And she had to, at some point, she was going to have to say something. Well, let me ask you this, Jamidra. Are you smelling peak white feminism here? Peak (laughs) white feminism. Okay, another counterpoint. Hey, come on, Bette Midler. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder when Bette was going to wander into this Give a pit to her. (laughs) So another counterpoint is what we've wanted her to do all along, which is mobilize her Mm. right-leaning young base to vote Mm -hmm. for progressive causes. She did that. She did that. And we're still upset. When could she have done it and what could she have done differently to not be seen as opportunistic after initially taking a stand saying, I'm just going to be a pop star. I don't want any drama. And also, in 2016, lest we forget, a lot of us were confident Hillary Clinton would win. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like we needed all hands on deck. Now it is a moment where all hands are needed, even Taylor Swift. So even though I have issues with 
some of the things that she has done and some decisions she's made. I'm like, if you can mobilize these people to vote, come on board. I'll do it. Let's do it. So I am not. Listen, I tell you, I tell you, I give, I'll give Taylor her credit where, where credit is due. Mm-hmm. Style is still my jam. I <laughs> yes. still love it. Okay. But I'm and I and I do appreciate that she's gotten these young people to mobilize because she's gotten how many people to, to register to vote the well, day after this she is the posted thing. this. We cannot deny the facts, right? She has 112 million Instagram followers, and uh, the director of communications for Vote.org told BuzzFeed News that there were 65,000 registrations in the 24-hour period after Taylor Swift posts this Instagram, right? And of the more facts. 5,183 voter registrations in Tennessee this month, at least 2,144 occurred after she posted this. So this is undeniable. It had impact. Maybe see, it's a peak. I see, I can give her, her props for that, <laughs> but side eye while I'm doing it. You can't. True. Because this is America. And guess what? <laughs> you contain multitudes. <laughs> the headline, Democracy Was Saved by the Swifties, is, I guess, what we deserve at this point. Because it's... this is where we are. Someone save us. So where do we fall, guys? Can this be a simultaneous high peak and yet a low pit? It is a peaklet. It is like a hillock. It's like a small Mm. thing that you stand on to get a slightly better view, but it didn't actually give you a better view. Nice. I feel like her intentions are good. She waited until after her tour. She collected the coins, and now people are burning her albums and saying, I will never see you again. And she's like, I already got your money, (laughs) and now I'm going to tell you who I really am. How do you burn an album these days? Yeah. I saw a video and it was all the booklets and people still buy the booklets. The CD, yeah. Wow. Because, okay. yeah. Well. I hate to give the final word to the president of the United States oh, since it's it's not a common theme on this oh, podcast. God. But in response to this, Donald Trump has said, "I like her music about twenty five percent less now." Meanwhile, so, Kanye is visiting the, the White House this week. Where are we? We all picked the wrong side on that one, didn't we? Okay, guys, since we're clearly not going to reach a consensus here, we're mature, grown adults. We try. We can we can find some midway point here. And I think that we should do that through song. Mm. So why don't we end this episode with Jamidra's Taylor Swift bop, Style. Okay. I'm a side eye the whole way through, but yes, I'll listen. <laughs> You'll be nodding your head, too. <laughs> you got that jeans Listeners, you love us, right? If you do, there's a really good way to show it, and it's go onto iTunes and leave us a review. We read every single one, and they make us really happy. This episode was edited by me, Emmanuel Hapsis, with help from Ashley Ann Craigbaum. And special thanks to David Marcus and Carolyn pennypacker Riggs. If you miss us in the next week, find us on social media. I'm Excuse My Beauty. I'm at Teacup in the Bay. And I'm Jamie Dresses. Bye. Bye.